Welcome to the Payments Podium Podcast, hosted by the payments professor himself, Kevin Olson. This podcast discusses the past, present, and the possibilities of the payments industry. Here's the show. Hey, everybody, and welcome to the Payments Podium. I'm the payments professor, Kevin Olson, and today, well, today we got a great topic. We're going to be talking about error resolution. When it comes to working with electronic payments, you know, sometimes there's disputes, sometimes there's errors, sometimes there's problems. I mean, it's great to have software do everything for you, but there's some things that software can't do. There's a lot of time that it takes human interaction. And well, what do you do when something happens? I think the answer to that really happens to be, well, it depends. Well, to be able to discuss today's topic of error resolution, I have Jill Hall from Mid-Hudson Valley Federal Credit Union. She's here to be able to give us some guidance to let us know from her experience and what she's seeing in the industry when it comes to error resolution. So, Jill, I want to welcome you to the show. Thanks for having me, Kevin. <laughs> there you go. I, I love to hear that enthusiasm. Now, I know error resolution, that's one of those topics that a lot of times people say, we're going to talk about error resolution. Yay. But... <laughs> I think it is something that is really exciting in the industry because, I mean, there's a lot of money usually that's at stake for this. But on the um, payments podium, we really like to break it into the past, the present, and the possibilities. So if you could, could you give us a little bit about your background and what you do at Mid-Hudson Valley? Okay, I've been with Mid-Hudson Valley for more than 20 years. Um, And in my lifetime with the credit union, what I did was I journeyed through the accounting and finance department. Um, And in that responsibility, I was making sure that the credit union um, took all of our options for recourse. So the word recourse is, how do we make sure that those things that are in error or disputed or claimed, um, that we fulfill our promise to our members um, complete, how do we get the money from the other people that are responsible on the end? And, and how, how are they responsible? And when are they responsible? So um, when we were a teeny tiny organization many years ago, I got that ball rolling to make sure that the credit union was doing their fiduciary responsibility and completing our commitment to our members that, uh, especially with Regulation E, that they had little to zero um, liability on any kind of fraud and that uh, we were also going to be their advocate when there were disputes because we're kind of like, you know, their partner. Okay. I like that. You really said a mouthful right in there too, if you ask me, because you said you kind of came up through the ranks that you worked in other um, departments and you were with the credit union as it grew. And I, I tell people a lot of times when they pick on tellers, don't you ever pick on a teller. A teller is sitting there at the front lines getting to see what's really happening and what they learn from their experiences, especially when they work their way into back rooms and into other departments is invaluable. So, you know, I, I just so be forewarned, I'm not one who will ever allow picking on tellers because it's not a fun job to have. But to have been there in other departments and grown with the financial institution, what was error resolution like at the beginning, especially compared to what it's like now? Well, um, I have to tell you, it was um, this complicated copy form. Um, I don't know if you guys remember, it can harken back to the days where it was a carbon, a piece of carbon paper between pieces of paper, and you would type it, and then that carbon paper would relate it onto the other piece. So then you'd have a copy of what you did. So yuck, right? right. Um, if, if you can 
imagine going from typing and whiteout to online syllables PDF. That's the transformation that you know my my span here, the career at the credit union has gone through. Um, there are also fewer ways for people to have items electronically removed from their account. A debit cards kind of you know came on soon after I was hired because um, that was just another way for people to get money out of their account. But the beginning days, it was you wrote a check um, to pay people. And sometimes there were some electronic items that were presented, and that was a, a little bit newer. And then we went through the generation of Check 21, and then there's ARCs, and there's XDKs, and then there's web payments and telephone payments, just more and more self-service options for our members, our customers, to be able to take care of their things, basically giving permission to people to come in and take the payment and take care of everything. The more that opened up, the more complicated it got, and the more, the more times there's possible for the member to have made a mistake or somebody else actually to fraudulently do something in the name of the member. You know, a lot of our listeners are new to the banking industry. It's really interesting. You get a broad spectrum of listeners and people that subscribe to the Payments Professor. And I love that you just talked about how, okay, this started off as check. And then it came in to be in debit card. And then there was the telephone banking. I mean, I remember telephone banking long before you could do things online. And then it got into the online and going through that progression of technology and that progression of change. And it's crazy because, you know, I don't want to jump to the future, but we've got faster payments coming and there's going to be error resolution that's going to happen in it. And I, I would ask too, as you changed from one technology to another, as you went from, you know, the carbon vapor you said you're working with and going to online, were there any like, you know, similarities in changing from one system to another or one channel to another as everything progressed that were like aha moments that, you know, you really learned and went, okay, the next time I implement a product, I need to remember to do this. Yeah, but, well, there's, you know, one big entity that's remained constant in the whole, you know, infrastructure, and that's the Federal Reserve. So, basically, um, sometimes I like to say that they're like the U.S. Postal Service. They just make sure the mail gets delivered um, for everybody passing back and forth. So, there's the bankers or credit unions bank. That's where we keep all of our balances, and when we want to um, do something, they make sure that the the debits and credits are moved accordingly. So that's the one constant, whether we started out with the, the carbon form, then we went to carbonless form, um, and then we went to you know an online application process. The Federal Reserve has basically given us specific ground rules of what we can and cannot do and what they'll handle. Um, they you know implemented a limit of like, well, if it's $25 or less, you can't use that. We're that's a waste of time. You're you're just gonna have to, you know, figure out how to, you know, absorb that yourself because it's not worth the anybody's time and effort from a human resource standpoint as you know, as much as, you know, from the use of the tool to, to do that. So they put that limit in. And then we came into a um, you know, Check 21, and they did a new thing because there was a lot of duplicate, um, you know, it's it, files being presented all of a sudden they said okay well we'll back off a little bit so if you have a series of uh, items that are clearing multiple times because somebody is getting new and they're scanning and oops they scanned it a second time or if they presented a file that was scanned more than once we're going to give you recourse options for that so as things evolved they changed 
some of the format. The most recent one is the changes with Reg CC in terms of mobile deposit or remote deposit capturing of deposited checks because, gee, there's something new. People wanted to know whose responsibility. Federal Reserve comes in like mom and dad and says, okay, this is the toy. This is how we're going to play, and there's a new rule. So um, in order for us to make sure that it's done fairly, we have this new thing that's called restrictive endorsement. So if your customer is going to be using remote deposit capture, they have to write on the back of their check for mobile deposit. And it can be as elaborate or as simple as that. But what that does is that, that levels the playing ground because a picture can be taken multiple times. And then the paper check could also be presented. And there were arguments over who gets to go back and get the money from, you know, whoever got the money more than once. And uh, so they just come in with new rules. Yeah, they're That's constantly changing the rules. That's a great answer, though. But, you, you know, you're right. They are constantly changing the rules. And as somebody who, who served on different panels and councils on helping to form these rules, it, it's not an easy process either. And sometimes it seems like it takes forever and it's not fast enough. Yet, for those who are out working in it, you probably are, you know, like, wow, do we really have to change something else again? Because it, it seems like you're always being hit because you work in one payment channel, but you get hit in other payment channels. But before we go on, let's just actually back up real quick. And for those people that are new, what would you really say is an error resolution when it comes to what you're doing, what your department does, your people, your team? What do you classify as really being an error resolution? Okay, and it might be different for different other, like you said, other groups. For us, it's any time a member comes to us and they don't understand why something happened or touched their account. So it can be as simple as, I don't recognize this, you know, 1999. I don't know the name of the company. I'm not quite sure that I get the information, enough information for me to say, this is me. I, I gave permission. This is valid. And um, for those who, you know, there, there's a lot of people who know this, but Reg E provides, especially with um, ACH, a rule that there's, it's called Reg E information um, so that we can actually maybe get a contact number. Um, they encourage, um, but not always strictly enforce, that um, anything that's done by a vendor with permission has a contact number for that specific vendor. Mm -hmm. So again, um, talking about our two banks, um, one's an originator, and they do stuff for their customer that could be the vendor. And then um, the second bank, which is, you know, the receiver or our RDFI, um, which is then fulfilling the commitment because we're making the assumption that our member did give permission to have this activity happen. And um, in between, the vendor and the member have to kind of talk a little bit so that you know, here's what you said I could take, and the person's going, oh, yep, that's right, that's my gym membership, and oh, but I had a question, or I canceled that, here's the 800 number you call for that gym. Calling your financial institution, I, I really don't know if you canceled it, and I don't have control over it. Um, the other financial institution that originated, sometimes they don't know you canceled it, so let's just try to connect the two parties that are actually doing business with each other, which is the customer and the merchant or the vendor. Sometimes that's not there. So it could be as simple as um, another example is that maybe your specific credit card uses a processor payment um, agent. Um, so it could be coming in as like something really vanilla, bank card. Um, and, the, and the, you know, the customer or the member could say, oh, I don't know anything with bank card. I don't, 
I don't think I have anything with bank card. And we look into a little bit different. It's like, oh, this is your visa with, for instance, Mid-Hudson Valley Federal Credit Union. And they're like, oh, okay. So an error resolution doesn't always mean there's an error, um, but there's a question and there's a potential for error. And then further into that, can we answer your question or how do we resolve it if it, it is an error? And is the error something that is, you know, simple as a key, you know, I, I told the, you know, I, I wrote a check for $70, but the way I do my seven made it look like uh, nine and you took $20 more. Our members can come to us and say, hey, this, this shouldn't have been for that much money and we make them whole for that. So um, anytime you have something you don't recognize, you don't agree with, you think it's the wrong amount, it's not supposed to be at that time, or you never gave permission, or you didn't get what you were promised to get when you paid for it. Those are all error resolutions. So anything from fraud to a dispute to just, a, you know, purely an error or a keying entry. Wow. And, you know, you said a lot in there, too. And I, I hope that some of the non-banking people out there start listening and watching some of the videos and things that we're putting out there and listening to the podcast because one of the high points you hit, and I get this from family and I get it from friends, they'll be like, I can't believe my bank or I can't believe my credit union did this to me. And they'll describe the situation. And I'm like, they didn't do anything. Did you actually, you know, like you, in your example, cancel the payment? Well, I think I did. Well, what do you mean you think you did? I mean, did you actually call and talk to the other company? I was like, well, I did, but you know, their bank still debited my account. And I was like, but you got to understand it's, between you and that business, what your credit union does to help you in between, sometimes it is required by you know, things like Reg E, but sometimes, believe it or not, it's really them going above and beyond to be able to provide you member services. And I tell them that and they're like, oh really? I'm like, yeah, you'd be surprised. But you also mentioned fraud and dispute. I wanna make sure that people understand, what, what would you consider to be the difference between fraud versus a dispute? Well, fraud is definitely anything that posts, uh, and it could be a debit and a, or a credit to your account that you definitely didn't authorize, and that we consider that to be fraud. Somebody uh, did it an action that affected your financial position, your monetary balances in your account, and you did not give them permission to do that. So it's sort of like you know breaking and entering. Somebody came into your house and took you know, something off your stand and, you know, you didn't open the door, you didn't invite them in, you didn't say, would you like to take this thing out of my house for me? Um, there's no permission there. It's like a surprise and it should never happen. That's fraud. Uh, the view is, um, just for an example, um, and this is, uh, this is a funny one, but it's also real. Um, we had a member who ordered some hedges, okay? So he ordered some hedges and he got this fabulous deal. And they were like $3.98 per each hedge. And he was so happy. He had did a lot of research. And when he came to us after he got the hedges delivered, he was really upset because these hedges were tiny little seedlings. <sighs> and he said, this is, fraud. this is fraud. And we're like, well, first of all, did you uh, – do this agreement with the merchant that you they could take x number of dollars from your account in return for hedges and he said yes i did and then so you got the hedges and they were delivered and he said yes 
the hedges were delivered, but they're not as promised. They're like only four inches tall. And so we said, okay, so that's a dispute. Um, the merchant gave you something in exchange for the money that you agreed they could take. So that's a dispute between you and the merchant. Maybe they didn't deliver what they promised. Well, the merchant came back and said, we're so sorry, but the, the two marks next to four indicates inches, where if it would be one mark, that would be four foot. Uh -huh. um, the member was obviously unhappy with this response because, you know, he thought he got this fabulous deal, but in reality, he paid the value of a four-inch tall hedge um, to get started. So with that being said, that is an example of a dispute. And the dispute doesn't always mean that the account holder's right. It means that you're going to investigate and determine what is the best path to take, correct? Correct. And in this case, um, a dispute is not an obligation or there's no commitment uh, that there would be, um, for instance, um, in terms of, you know, like, let's call them some, some of the big brand names, Visa or MasterCard, where they promise a zero liability commitment. Um, that's fraud. You know, they, they promise that you will lo not lose money using this payment channel to fraud. But they don't say that if you have a dispute with a merchant, we're just going to give you the money if you disagree. That, that's not happening. And the credit union obviously is not going to give the, you know, a customer money out of our pocket. It's not our money. It's our members' money. Um, so basically, a dispute is something where we promise to be your advocate. We, we try to connect you. Um, we've had like some really wild cases, and I won't you know, share them all with you, um, where, like you said, that going above and beyond, we, re we feel very much a partner or even um, you know, like, a, like the advocacy piece for our members who don't deal with this day after day, whereas we do, and you know, lots of them every day, and, you know, at the rate of about 130 a month for us that there is, you know, questions that come in and I don't agree with it. Um, could be as detailed as I ordered a purple sweater and when I got it, it was definitely green. Um, that's a dispute. You got a piece of merchandise. You paid what you were supposed to pay for it. It just wasn't the color that you want. It could be as simple as that. And we always ask our members to please contact the, the merchant, the vendors. In this day and age, people want you to come back and continue to do business. There's some great people out there um, that do business that just say, they, you know, some of them even say, hey, go ahead and keep what you have. We're going to send you another one, like in the instances of breaking, something breaking when it's shipped. Um, so we are trying to help our member connect with the merchant and giving them that kind of support. But we're not obligated to make the member whole or give them money out of our pocket. It's just us trying to referee between the two parties. Trying to referee between the two parties. Now, and you said about 130 a month. One of the things I'd like to help people understand when it comes to dispute resolution too is could you put a time to each dispute? Because is each dispute really, let's say, okay, they're about the same. They take five minutes each. Um, depending on the dispute, and this might be uh, discouraging to some members, but the process could take up to 60 days because we are the middleman and we're working with another middleman to get the two end parties together. So by far, I'm going to say when you have a dispute, the fastest thing to do is to directly call 
the vendor. Directly call the merchant because like I said, they're really friendly nowadays. They're often willing to give you a credit. They might ask if you return some merchandise. They might even send you like a free shipping label. Um, read the terms and conditions of what you agree to do very carefully. Um, make sure that if you do something that is on, let's say, um, a um, basis of like where you can you can test it out to see if you like it and then you know if you don't like it uh tell us or it'll continue to be billed you know you'll get that ongoing you know lotion in the mail or health supplement will keep getting delivered to you and from the merchant standpoint as long as they promise to give you something in return for the money they're taking out of your account and they're shipping it to you and you're getting it they're completing their promise there's no real dispute until you say stop and you actually have to return whatever they gave you because you know they're not giving you stuff that's free they're giving you stuff that costs money to them right that is uh, so it can be i'm going to say on average for a dispute 30 to 60 days again it's not us giving the money it's getting all of the documentation getting the merchant to talk to you in most cases you'll have a quicker resolution directly with the merchant but there are those cases where Maybe the, you feel that you need an advocate. Maybe the merchant isn't that friendly or easy to get a hold of. And so we'll go through the payment channel that, you know, follow the money, how they took the money back to who originated it, talk to the originator, um, card holder, card issuer, uh, merchant, uh, whoever it is, and get them to talk to the customer. So then now you got two people acting as, um, it, you ever in school where they pass the no and it's like, Jimmy boy wants to know if, you know, my friend Susie likes your friend Sally and you get this whole thing in between and like, just you two talk to each other if you like each other kind of thing. Um, so <laughs> <laughs> with, with that being said, we, um, as a service, as a partner for our members and something we deeply feel we have value in comparison to maybe some other larger financial institutions is we really are. Um, family and friends to our members and it's sort of like hey mom or dad can you help me you know with this problem and we're gonna like yep we're gonna go ahead and do it because we're older we're wiser we have more experience and we do it all day long we'll help you walk through it and get it done the fastest possible um, some of these disputes can be quite um, detailed and the merchant will come back and say no absolutely not sort of like with a merchant with a hedge nope we gave them exactly what it is here's the printout this is what we promised we're going to point out to this little thing. Now, it's somewhat deceptive. We agree that maybe it's somewhat deceptive to not have actually typed the word inches or uh -huh. feet to something. So we're like, mm, it could have been intended to be deceptive, um, but did they do the promise? Um, so we actually could come back and say, hey, we still think it's fraud because you did something um, that we think was a deceptive practice. In that case, we kind of try to turn that case over maybe to the state, um, you know, fraud, you know, uh, good business relations. There's all kinds of consumer advocacy groups that help with that type of thing that, you know, these people did it. It's kind of like technically legal, but it is sort of like shady. And maybe we should turn that over to consumer protection. Right. So we try to get them to the right spot because obviously we don't want that kind of company perpetuating because then we're going to have member after member after member maybe get caught in that same net. 
Well, I, I love how you elaborated on all that. I, I really do hope that a lot of people out there listening might even be members of yours just so that they could realize the extent that you're going through to get this resolved. I know I once had a resol resolution dispute that I had to take care of with a large, very large financial institution where I happened to have an account at. And they told me, you're a problem. And I ended up telling them, let me explain something to you. I'm actually a payments expert. Here's all my certifications. I know by law you have to do something about this. And they said, no, we really don't. And it wasn't until I went to their superiors that they went, oh, he, uh, well, I think you actually, you might be right. And uh, let's look into this. And then, you know, suddenly two hours later, well, yeah, we're going to go ahead and get your money back. And I was so frustrated because I know that a lot of people like yourself out there are going that extra mile and you're looking at everything that comes through because, well, first of all, you're supposed to, but it sounds like you look even further because you're providing that extra level of support to your members. But something else you hit on too is, you know, the passing of the note. It's not as easy as, do you like me? Just check yes or no. And I would like to ask, what are the pain points that your staff has? What are the pain points that you guys feel when it comes to dealing with these disputes? Um, yeah, so from our, from our, from our employee standpoint, it is trying to make sure that our members have the best experience. And um, we've all heard the terminology red tape or, you know, forms, forms just drown us. You know, they've talked about, I think they've talked about a paperless society for probably 20 years that I've been, you know, in this business, but we're not paperless by any staff. You know, the staff just says, hey, there's too many papers for me to collect. The member is already either upset in either a tear kind of way or an anger kind of way, uh, frustrated because money is missing from their account. They feel that's unfairly been removed from their account, whether, you know, it's like straight up, I don't know anything about this. What's going on? You know, is it some type of like big intrusion? Um, so the amount of paperwork um, to, to, to fulfill all of the requirements to be able to talk to the other end and what the, you know, the other processor needs to, to pass along in order to help, you know, referee this resolution. The other thing is, is that um, often, even after they do all of this, our employees fail to be able to give the member that great experience of leaving with it solved because it does take time. And, and especially the ability to have the money just returned to their account. Why can't we just, you know, give the money back to the member? Well, you know, we are a business and we need to make sure that we got all of the information we need to, to, to get to collect for fraud. Um, and then we need to make sure that if it's something that there is no recourse, that our insurance company who helps us cover these types of losses is satisfied that we did everything, all of our due diligence, to make sure we aren't just like letting money leave, you know, willy nilly. And um, the fact that we're still, and I'm, you know, we're looking into, you know, broadening this. We have so many members who do things online, card not present. They, you know, they verbally do it uh, over the phone or they do it through a web session or, you know, they're giving permissions very electronically. But our collection of the documentation is still kind of pretty much paper. Um, so, you know, uh, we're looking into making that be more virtual and available, uh, including some requirements, again, for the rule makers like the Federal Reserve or um, NACHA, the National Clearinghouse for ACH, um, that they require that we have documentation and we have something signed in, in affidavit um, and in, you know, 
the resolutions or errors or fraud uh, for uh, checks. It includes, you know, having a, a sample of your handwriting, you know, if you are disputing that, you know, I didn't sign this chat. Well, we need to, you know, make sure that you have a, a sample of your handwriting. Um, so just a lot of paperwork, a lot of time, and they're still not able to have a happy member leave their office because they can't solve it that day. The time it takes to solve it. You know what? I think you did a great transition for me too, because we were we've been focusing a lot on the present. And I, I like to, you know, finish out on what are the possibilities, what are the future that you see? And you said looking to make it more virtual, uh, maybe even having handwriting analysis. Uh, I would gather you'd want to be able to get time, the shorter time on it too. But uh, another area that I, I'd love to hear from you, of course, what you think is going to happen in the future or what you'd like to see happen in the future, whether it be rules or regulations, something in the industry. But another thing that is happening in the future is I know there's a younger generation of people banking nowadays and they don't always get it. A lot of them never even wrote checks and they're starting to have disputes because, you know, they're getting established in their careers and have money. So when it comes to the Gen X's, the Gen Y's, the Gen Z's, this younger generation and working with them on exceptions as far as what um, do you see is out there? What are you doing to be able to prepare for them? And what would you like to see happen in the future of error resolution in general? Well, that's a great question, Kevin. And, and um, in our pursuit to you know, solve this answer, we've looked at a number of different solutions and some of the best out there are definitely uh, online. And I would call it mobile because, you know, let's face it, um, over almost 70% of our people who are doing online banking, they're doing it on their phone. So that mobile option of you, you get on your phone, you check your balance, you go, wow, uh, I thought I had more money than that. You take a look at a couple of the transactions and you go, what are these? Um, I would love, and again, paint the picture of me being able to click the item that I say, I don't think this is me, and then um, have something, um, let's just say a process you know, decision tree. Um, first thing is check the button. Um, why do you think this isn't yours? I don't recognize this vendor. I don't, I never gave permission for this. Or um, this isn't the amount that was supposed to have been done. They weren't supposed to do it on this day. So some of those things that, you know, it's really easy. Um, no training for the member. The member can take care of it themselves. And then um, have us be friendly enough because, you know, let's face it with same day ACH. We're talking about Venmo, we're talking about Zelle, and the immediacy of having those credits are what everybody's expectation is. And then we slow everything down and say, oh, well, you know, that's great, you use all these tools, but when there's a problem, it's gonna really take a long time. Why? Why can't we have that same, um, let's say, good state credit? Uh, give you the money while we have to maybe take some more time to do the investigation until we get the wheels um, rolling on speeding up this investigation, maybe making a similar decision that the Federal Reserve made several years ago, like, hey, for $25, can we all just agree it's not worth human resource time, the paper, the effort, let's just all agree that's the cost of doing business. If you're in business, sometimes you're just going to have to throw some of that milk out because it's past its expiration date. Um, so what I would like to see is an, an industry where uh, we trust our customers, our users, as much as we ask them to trust us. Because the reality is we're doing a lot of effort to eliminate or stop 
potential fraud. And sometimes that actually chokes or prevents good transactions. People who are sincerely doing stuff. And I think by far, um, you know, 97, 98, 99, I don't even know what the percentage is, are all people doing things in good faith and honestly. Um, a lot of time and effort to, you know, preventing fraud. And we got to continue to do that because they always figure out a different way, work around the system. Um, there's a lot of, you know, I don't want to scare anybody, but we have to be prepared for that. But I think sometimes we've over um, accentuated that potential to the point where we've made it so cumbersome for people to actually do things in an honest world. That's my opinion. I think and totally agree. I, I, in fact, Jill, thank you for so much for being on the show. And one of the things that I really, really is going to stick with me probably for a few days is if I can quote you is as an industry, we need to trust our customers as much as we ask them to trust us. And you're right. Trust goes both ways. And, and I have to agree that what we see in happening, especially in fraud in some of these disputes is we see the one really bad actor and suddenly we blame it on everybody. And I tell people all the time when it comes to error resolution, acceptance processing, dispute resolution, fraud, that what we handle are the bad cases. And the reality is 99% of all transactions are fine, that they don't have issues. It's just the 1% that we deal with that leaves that tainted taste in your mouth. But I do appreciate you having on the show and talking about error resolution. For all of you out there listening, uh, if you can, or if you would, you can email me, Kevin at PaymentsProfessor.com, or you can go to the VSOP website, the PaymentsProfessor.com website, and you can send us anything you'd like to hear as far as follow-up, if there's a topic you'd like to have. We've got multiple topics that we're working on in everything electronic banking related. Thank you all for attending and thank everybody for listening. Thank you for listening to the Payments Podium Podcast. Check back every Thursday for a conversation with the Payments Professor. This podcast is hosted and produced by Kevin Olson and edited by Sam Sue Smith. See you on Thursday.